today has already been a special day. We have celebrated. We, we did this on purpose. We wanted to have, we knew our children, preschool choir was going to be doing their handbells. We knew the children's choir was going to be singing. We put parent-child dedication. We wanted today to be about celebrating our families. And I think we've done that. And this morning, uh, I want to put in your mind from the very beginning, again, the words of Psalm 127, Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. It means that they are a possession that has been granted to us by the Lord as a gift. And this morning, I want all of our parents in the house to get that Psalm 127 phrase in your mind this morning because it's Sunday morning and sometimes it's very difficult to think of our children as gifts on Sunday morning. And if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) We love our kids, but uh, I don't think Lionel Richie ever took his kids to church on Sunday morning. Because if he had, he would have never titled his song Easy Like Sunday Mornings. Because Sunday mornings aren't easy, are they? No, they're not. He would have picked maybe Saturday mornings had he taken his kids to church on a regular basis. Um, But Sundays can be difficult, especially for families. They not always are the easiest of mornings or days, but I believe that they certainly are of the most important days. Because it's the day that we come together, that the Lord has set aside, that we worship Him both individually as families and then collectively as a church family as we gather together in this house. So this morning I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to take a look at a very familiar command of the Lord in chapter 6, but I want us to really consider what it means this morning. When you study the book of Deuteronomy, and we know that Deuteronomy isn't necessarily among the top page turners when we think about books of the Bible that you want to read on your own, but Deuteronomy... Um, is a very important book. And we find that when you, when you look at it, the majority of the book of Deuteronomy is made up of speeches that Moses gave to the people of Israel. Moses at this point is a, 120 years old. And these the, the majority of Deuteronomy are these speeches that he gives. He reviews through the book of Deuteronomy. First he reviews the history of the people at the beginning of the book, and then he transitions into giving the people instructions on how their relationship with God was to look and how it was to grow as they were approaching the promised land that God had given them. And Moses wanted to prepare them to inhabit that land. And so as he gives these speeches, we looking at the timeline, you find that this was what's happening in Deuteronomy and what he's saying to the people is about 40 years after the people have left Egypt, after the Exodus. And so there's a very important reason why Moses needs to give these instructions to the people and a very important reason that the Holy Spirit would inspire him to write it down and author the book of Deuteronomy so that we could have it even today. Because you see, by this time, the people in the nation who would have been 40 to 60 years old were the generation who had actually lived during the Exodus. They would have participated in it. They would have remembered leaving Egypt. They would have been maybe small children, teenagers, when they left Egypt. So 
by this time, 40 years later, there was a whole other generation before then that had been born. And all they had known um, was traveling in the wilderness as people. They, they were born and raised during that time of transition after the Exodus. And so there was a need for this new generation to experience what God has done and hear the instructions of the Lord in a similar way than the first generation had. And Moses understood that. And there would also be generations after this new generation who were going to come later. And so Moses, the Lord instructed Moses to write what he shared with the people. And so that it could be passed down from generation to generation. And so as Moses is preparing the people to enter into the promised land, there, there are some things that he knows and understands. Um, one is that he's old and he is approaching the end of his days. He's 120 now. And so he understands that death is near. He, he has also received from the Lord the instruction that he would not be permitted to go into the promised land. But God did gracefully let him go to the top of Mount Pisgah and be able to look off and see where the people would end up. But God had told Moses, you will not enter there. Joshua will be the one to lead the people into the promised land. And he knew that that transition of leadership was about to happen. And so Moses, this is sort of Moses' final um, plea, his final instructions to the people. And these instructions come from the very mouth of God, but also the heart of God, and I believe also the heart of Moses. So if you look at Deuteronomy in chapter 4, Moses commands the people to obey the law that they have already received and the law that would be given to them. And he also warns them about idolatry in chapter 4. He warns them not to, not to um, take up false gods and put them before the true God. Then in chapter 5, he recounts the Ten Commandments again. And he reviews those with the people. And he reminds them of the commitment that they had made to be obedient to God's law. And then we come to chapter 6. And I want us to begin reading in chapter 6. At the very beginning of the chapter, we're going to really focus on verses 4 through 9. But I want us to begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 6. And I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard translation. And so in verse 1 it says, Moses spoke to the people. And he says this, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. So that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. 
you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall walk, talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This morning, we have observed the fruits of our church's investment in our babies and our children, our preschoolers. And I believe that the Lord would have all of us as parents and grandparents to begin to evaluate the connections that we are making in the lives of our children, not only while they are in church, but more importantly, when they are not at church. And so um, you may be anticipating this morning that um, this is going to be a message where I'm going to guilt you about how often you come to church. Or we're going to talk about how important it is for you to come to church every week and how important it is for you to have your children here. Um, But we're not going to talk about that today. We'll talk about that another day. But today, I want to remind you of a calling that that is even greater. Of course it's important that you and your family are a part of God's family and that you participate in the gathering of his people. But there's a calling here that's even greater. And I hope that you'll not only hear me this morning as your pastor, but I hope that you'll also hear me as a fellow parent. A parent who struggles with these same things. A parent who hasn't figured it all out yet. And a parent who doesn't always get it right. So please, please hear my heart this morning. If you would look with me again together, let's look at verse 4. Moses to the people says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is what? One. There's but one God that we are called to worship. Verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, And with all your soul and with all your might, or your translation may say strength. These words which I am commanding you shall be on your heart. Now in these verses are some very important principles that I believe every parent needs to understand. And this morning parents, I'm talking to us. Like we're, we're. This is, this is kind of a conversation with us this morning, but also if you're a grandparent. But if you're not a parent or a grandparent, that doesn't mean you get to tune out. Because you also understand that as a part of this church family, you hold a responsibility, as we've said already, to aid and help the families who are raising their children. You are like adopted parents and grandparents for kids, even if your family, your par- kids and grandkids aren't here. So don't tune out to what we have to say. But, but parents, this morning, um, a very simple principle that may seem oversimplified, but it's, but it's there. You see in verse 5 that God did not tell the people, make sure your children love the Lord, their God, with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their might. That's... Those aren't the words that he uses. He says that it all begins with us. We're not addressing our kids yet. 
He's talking about us. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your might. Plus, if we look at verse 6, we see that what God desires for our lives as parents is not just a programmed robotic obedience to his laws, but that he says, these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your what? On your heart. Not, not just your mind. Like I said, this may seem oversimplified, but, but I want you to think it is not difficult. If, if I were to take time, and, and for some of you I can, I see your life and I know what you're passionate about. I know what your heart loves. And anyone who knows you or spends any amount of time around you, it's not difficult for them to know what your heart gets excited about, what your passions are. And we all have different things that make us passionate. But if we as adults can look at each other and tell what, what our hearts are passionate about, let me tell you something about your kids. They know even more. They have such an, an, an intuition to be able to see what mom and dad's hearts are connected to. And it's very easy for them to discern that. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, Where your treasure is, your what will be also? Your heart. So Jesus, later in the Gospels, he says that there's this connection between the things that you treasure, where your passions lie, and where your heart is. And I believe that when Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also, I believe that Jesus remembered the words of Moses here in Deuteronomy 6. Think about this for a minute. What else is left? Jesus said that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our, Moses, God said, love him with all of our heart, our soul, and our strength. What are we if you take away our heart? What are you if you take away your heart? And take away your soul and take away your strength. What's left? Not very much. But those are all the things that God calls us to love him with completely. He, is, he has marked us for an all-consuming love that pours itself into each and every nook and cranny of our lives. And so you may wonder, well, Eric, how do we... Um, how does that come out? Like if I, if I want to love God with all my heart, soul, and might, how does that, how does that come out of me? How, how, do I sh- how do I show God that I love Him that much? How do, I, how do I live my life so that people can see that? I think Jesus answered it in John 14. John 14 verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my what? Commandments. Keep my commands. If you love me, he didn't say, if you love me, say it on Facebook and then tell everybody else to share it if they love me too. That's weak, y'all. He says, if you love me, put a fish on the back of your car. Nobody does that anymore. That used to be a thing. 
or, you know, he didn't say, if you love me, come to church. That's one of the commands. There's a whole lot of others. Our passion and love for Jesus is directly proportional to the amount of obedience we show to his word. It has much less to do with what we say and what we sing. And has way more to do with what we do. And maybe if we say we love Jesus. But we find it so difficult to obey his commands. And honor what he says in his word. Maybe the truth we have to face ourselves is that maybe we don't really love Jesus as much as we say we do. Because Jesus says we show our love for him in our obedience. There are two important principles here in these verses in Deuteronomy. One, before God calls us to lead them, talking about our children, before he calls you to lead them, he calls you to love him. Can you remember that? Before he calls you to lead them, he calls you to love him. And you can't do this one until you can do this one. God also calls us to love him through obedience that grows from our hearts and a desire to obey Jesus for his commandments to be on our heart. That we love his word and that we desire to obey it. Not that we do what we think we're, we have to do to be able to check things off our list so that people can say we're good Christians. Let me just say something to you, church, and to families and to parents. You can make sure that your kids are in this church every day of their life, every time the doors are open, every opportunity there is to have a Bible study, come to Sunday school, be in worship, go to camp, be a part of any activity that we do. You can make sure that your kids are here for every single thing that we offer and still never teach them anything about what it means to love Jesus. My fear is that there are too many families in churches everywhere who think that they're fulfilling God's calling by getting their kids in the car and bringing them here. Even worse, there's some who think, if I can just get them in the car and drive through the parking lot and drop them off, that somehow they're honoring the Lord. And God says, that is completely not what I've called you to do. You can't teach your kids to love the things that you don't love first. You just can't. You will not be the one to teach them how to love God. Somebody else will. We can't teach our kids to love the things that we don't love. Dads, if we want to teach our sons 
to love, cherish, honor their future wives, they have to see dad do it. They have to see us model that for them. Moms, if you want to raise daughters who will love and honor and respect and support their husbands, then they have to see mom do it. They have to see mom and dad do that everywhere to each other, not just at home, behind closed doors. They have to see you do it when you're out in public. They have to see you do it when you're at church. They have to see you do it on social media to honor one another, to show respect for one another. And if they can't see that in you, your best hope is that they will see it in somebody else. But it's not somebody else's role. It's yours. First, Moses commands the people to love God with everything. And so in order to equip them to love God, he had to direct them to God's law. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So Moses understood that the key to them loving God was them understanding how to be obedient to his word. And it only makes sense that for us as parents, we have to equip our kids to love God by teaching them how to obey his commands. Right? You see the connection here. Look at verses 7 through 9. The Lord says through Moses, you shall teach them how? Diligently. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. We teach our kids to love God by teaching them to love God's word. That's how you do it. But there's a very important principle here, and that is the identity of our children's primary teacher. Um, as for 16 years, I have been able to serve as the youth pastor to your families, children's pastor to your kids. And I have loved every minute of it. And now serving this church as senior pastor, I'm extremely grateful for the investment this church has always made in its ministries to kids and teenagers. The products of those ministries are sitting in this room. And there are parents in here who are still raising their kids in this church because of the faithfulness of this church to love them and teach them to love God's word. I'm extremely grateful for that. But we have to understand this principle, very important. That this church, as great and supportive as it is, will never ever hold the responsibility, nor will it be given the responsibility, to be any of our children's primary teacher of God's word. That job is yours. That job is mine. Whether you realize it or not, the church is not the primary teacher 
of your children's spiritual life? You are. We want everything that we do at this church to encourage and equip parents in fulfilling that responsibility as we grow together and we're going to continue to do this. And this, this coming week, I'm going to have the privilege of meeting with folks from our personnel committee and we are going to actively begin our pursuit of two new staff positions here at First Baptist Lindale. We're going to find another youth pastor and we're also going to find a children's minister, children's pastor. And those are going to be our two new staff positions. And I'm excited about it because I know just the way God had all of this worked out to put me here, he's got something worked out for these two also. And I don't know who they are. I don't have a clue. But church, if you're not already praying for those people, you need to start today. Because there is a great, great future ahead. And and how God fills those roles is going to be a big part of it. And over the years, I've seen something that shouldn't be overlooked working in this church. And, and you may be wondering, Eric, you're making it sound like that the church can't impact a child unless their parents do their part. No, that's not at all true. Because what I've seen is that God will use people in the church to be the missing link in the life of a child or teenager that leads them to a passionate pursuit of Jesus in spite of the lack of encouragement and support that they may or may not get from their parents. There's some champions, kids who are honoring the Lord with their life, who you as a church have loved and invested in without their parents' help. And God has used you to raise them up to be champions of faith. So don't think that it's hopeless. But this is what you need to understand. This is why our volunteer ministries in our children and youth departments are so vitally important. This is why that when you volunteer to take care of our babies, when you volunteer to help with preschoolers or kids or our teenagers, that you are becoming a person that God may use to stand in the gap in the life of a kid who has no spiritual influence from mom and dad. So that is why it's important for you, whether you have children or grandchildren here or not. When you volunteer, believe it or not, to change diapers in the nursery, that is eternal. It's not babysitting. It's a big, big deal. When you take the time to lead some first through third graders out of this place and go over to another area of our campus and teach them God's word, you are you are backing up parents and you're filling in gaps that some parents are leaving. It's so, it's so important. But while that is important, what I want us to understand is that our ministries will never, ever be able to duplicate the power of a parent who loves Jesus first and teaches their children to fall in love with the Bible and to be faithful to its commandments. That's why when we do, when we do baptisms here, I, I love when parents come to me and say, hey, I need help. I've been talking to my kids. I need, to, I, I need help leading them to the Lord. And we sit down together and we talk through that. And it's beautiful and I love it. But this is why you see me get a little excited when mom and dad and a child come to me and say, hey, 
we've had this discussion in our house and we've settled it together as a family and we're just coming to let you know that it's done that this decision has already been made to have th those kind of conversations happening in homes is even greater of course we want to have those conversations here and of course we want we want to help and we want to be a part of that but but how how much is God honored when parents are equipped enough to be able to sit down with their kids and explain the gospel and be able to lead them into a relationship with Christ so Moses gives them some instruction about how to lead their kids to love God's word and he and he gives them some very specific things and if we were to translate those into to modern day we might say something Moses may say something to us today like he told them to teach them diligently have intentional time of Bible study in your home with your kids and this can be a struggle because we make so many other things priorities and we fill our family's calendars with things and this is a struggle in my home as well and I'll be honest with you, as a minister, as a children and youth minister, and now especially as a pastor, the pitfall that people like us fall into is that we spend so much time reading and studying and preparing to teach you and your kids, and, and I will neglect that time with my own children. We don't have it all together. We're figuring it out. But... But to have intentional time of Bible study together as a family. Find a, a devotional book that you can share together at night before you go to bed. Um, when you sit down to a meal, make reading the scriptures. Just a, just a few minutes at the beginning of your meal. Have family discussions. When you leave here, go home and read the scriptures that we talk about here. And talk about what it means and, and what is each of our roles in it. And how do we, how do we live this out at home? Moses told the people to teach the laws of God diligently to their children, intentionally. But on top of that intentional time, he said, talk to them as you walk and, and walk along the way and as you lie down and as you rise. In everyday life, there are applications of God's word to be made. You know those teachable moments that happen with your kids. It's in situations, it's in, in things that happen. They come home and they tell you about something that's happened at school or, or you experience something together as a family and there's a moment, there's an open door that God gives you to say, hey, insert my word into this part of life. Insert my word and my law into what they're experiencing, to what you're going through as a family. And use those teachable moments to actually teach. And instead of just giving them good advice and good wisdom, give them wisdom from the Lord. Give them wisdom that comes from God's word. And give God the credit for it. Because y'all, we're not that smart. <laughs> we are not. If we give our kids any good advice that comes from God's word, send them back to God's word and say, you know what, I'm not smart enough to figure that out. But I've lived life. And I know what God's word says. And I want you to know what God's word says. And take him back to his word. And Moses talks about how to put the scriptures up on the gates and on the doorposts of their homes. 
give the scriptures a place of honor in your house. Don't let them be hidden. Make the scriptures a focal point in your house. In both the living space of your house, but also in the time that you spend together in your home. Hang God's word all over the place. Put scriptures up everywhere. There's so many neat, like my wife loves Hobby Lobby, y'all. I know everybody loves Hobby Lobby. And, you know, Hobby Lobby is like the Christian, you know, like, like the Chick-fil-A of home decorating. And, guys, there's all kinds of stuff. You can, there, there are all sorts of things. You don't even, you don't have to be creative. You don't have to know how to paint and write stuff pretty on the wall. Like, just go buy it. Invest in that stuff. Hang God's word up all over your house so that everywhere you are, you can see it and they can see it. And then teach them what it says and teach them what it means. We have a, a chalkboard. One of the ways that we, we try to implement this in our house, in our kitchen, we have a, a big frame chalkboard that's just hanging on the wall. And every couple of weeks, Kim will find a new scripture passage and we'll, we'll write it on the chalkboard. So every time we come in the kitchen, we can see it. We can read it. It begins to soak into our hearts and our minds. Uh, leave notes in different places. Write scripture verses and put them, put them in your kids' backpacks. Put them in their lunch boxes. Put God's word everywhere. Um, if you've got a computer at home, type God's word. Put scripture as the screensaver on your computer. So that when it sits idle and you or your kids come down to sit in front of the, the internet before they, have to op- before they can open it up and put their password to get online, they see the word of God in front of them as a prompt to remember what his commands are. Put them in places that you go to a lot. Put them on the refrigerator. <laughs> That's where I go most often. Put God's word there. Give it a prominent place in your home. Teach your kids to love it. Because when God's word is hidden in our home, it sends a message to our kids. When we don't give it a prominent place in our home, it sends a message to our kids that it's not really that important. I want to I end, if, if you would let me, with an illustration that, that I think... I hope will help us, and I'm just going to put somebody on the spot. I'm actually, I'm going to ask Don Rush. Are you, you're down there. He's looking at me like, uh oh. Will you, will you, and Sydney come help me for a second, both of y'all? And Sydney's going to be like, oh, she may get mad at me for this. Very simple, very simple. I want y'all to come up here with me. Just a very, very simple illustration, but I think the visual of it will work. I'm afraid that. Most of us think that our role as a parent is to connect our kids to God, and absolutely it is. But I think the way that we sometimes think we're supposed to connect our kids to God um, maybe is a little bit skewed. I think that if I were to represent, come over here, Sid. If I were, to rep- if, if I were representing God, I think Don, his goal, take my hand, is to is to connect himself in a relationship with me. And then what Don wants to do is take his daughter and he wants to lead her to me so that I have a relationship with her too. 
Now, you guys let go for a minute. I think that this is the way a lot of parents think that they are supposed to be connected to God. That as long as my child has a connection this way, then I'm good. As long as I'm connected to God and they're connected to God, we're good. But I think the way God really intends for it to be is this way. That once you're connected and your kids see your love for God and their love for you, it's, it's a connection that goes through the parents. Because if the parent is not the one connecting, somebody else will. And what's a tragedy is that instead of being in this place, some parents are satisfied with letting a youth pastor, a Sunday school teacher, uh, or some other adult in the church be this connector between God and their kids. When God says the whole time, no, it's supposed to be you. You're the one that's supposed to be there. And as you love me, you let them see you love me. And then they'll learn how to love me too. So, as lovingly as I can, I want to say to to myself as a parent and to all of us as parents, let's all get in our place. Let's all do what we're called to do. And let's all give the example of how to love God and his word to our kids the way he instructs us to.